We have two dogs in our home. Aria is a two-year-old puppy who definitely needs help with her portions. And Nala is a 10-year-old dog who is living a great life and we want to keep feeding her well so she can hang in there with us for a lot longer. The farmer's dog makes it easy to keep them healthy, which can give you more quality years with them. The farmer's dog makes and delivers fresh, healthy dog food. It's recommended by vets, nutritionally balanced and made from human-grade ingredients in safe, clean kitchens. It's the best option for dogs at all life stages. It doesn't matter if your dog is young or old. It's always the right time to begin investing in their health, helping you live more healthy, happy, and full years together. You can get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash vanished. Let the farmer's dog know we sent you. Use our code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. As we prepare for a new season of Up and Vanished this January, please check out The Vanishing Point, a new series from the Up and Vanished team. This podcast is absolutely free, but if you want to listen to it ad-free, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus at tenderfootplus.com or on Apple Podcasts. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the podcast author or individuals participating in the podcast and do not represent those of Tenderfoot TV or their employees. This podcast also contains subject matter which may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. In the last episode, former Humboldt County Sheriff Trent James was pretty adamant on his opinion of what happened to Cootie Jaw and who he believes is responsible, namely Niji Fallis. This level of conviction left us all wondering what it would take for law enforcement to actually act on these eyewitness accounts. It's not entirely clear what they're waiting for or why these accounts haven't been enough. And Niji, if you hear this, we'd like to interview you. Okay, well, when this all started with Khadijah, with his, her boyfriend at that time, D.G. Fallis, um, his mother stayed in this house down here. So uh, she eventually stayed down there with uh, Niji. Ronnie Hostler, Khadijah Britton's grandfather, who you heard in the previous episode, offered to give us a tour of the Kovalo house where Khadijah and Niji Fallis were staying. It's right down the street from Ronnie's house. You can see it from his driveway. She stayed there a long time. He would leave, because he had other girlfriends besides her. I don't know of him ever beating her down here. If he did, I'm sure she would have uh, told me. But, uh, she didn't. Khadija moved in with Fallis after high school. This house belonged to Niji's grandmother, who also lived with them. It's a long, trailer-style home with blue sides fading to gray. And in a green yard adorned with stones on either side is a walkway leading to the front door. While Khadijah stayed there, it seems things were somewhat stable. There was some sense that even though Khadijah's family didn't approve of her relationship, with her living so close by, they could at least keep watch over her. But I haven't been in there since, since we lost Khadijah, five years ago. That's when he uh, drug her out of the house, 
threatened to kill her right there. But now, to Ronnie, this house serves as a constant reminder of everything that's gone wrong. When she came up missing, they had this all blocked off. So I uh, come walking down here and a deputy stopped me right here. I said, what's going on here? Well, we heard that there's some uh, blood and stuff in that house. So we're gonna go in there. Well, they found out that when they went into that house, they bleached it and they painted the one room while well, him and Khadija was in that room. How did they know that the wall had been painted, the room had been painted? They could smell the new paint. And there's some places where they could smell the bleach. Are you thinking maybe they were painting and bleaching just to get rid of any like evidence of domestic violence? Well, that's what they claim. The police? Yeah, they, they said that everything was clean so there was nothing they could do. Khadija always told me she was okay. But she didn't really tell me what, what was going on. And I knew there was abuse. I knew that. And so you drive past this house every day, the last place you saw Khadija. What's that like? Bad. Then I feel guilty. I feel like I should have done something. I should have put a stop to it. But the only way I could help her is if she wanted help. And I still felt guilty for not doing it. Felt like it was been my place to step in. Maybe that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. You've done so much for her. I'm not done. Not done yet. I'm Celicia Stanton, and this is the Vanishing Point. Sheriff's Office to the Detective Bureau has so far invested 3,462 hours in this investigation. And we're not saying that by saying this is the biggest we've done, but I, I want people to understand that we're not taking this investigation lightly. This is a 2018 press conference update on Khadija Britton's case. The main investigative lead in this case, Niji Ballas, was arrested. While many of her loved ones hoped justice would be served, we now know the main suspect in her disappearance, Niji Fallis, the man who was said to have beaten her and threatened her into a car at gunpoint, has eluded any sort of legal ramifications from this case. We want to solve this crime. As a father myself, I certainly can understand the anxiety, the, the, the nightmares, the fright that the family has. We are continuing our investigation of this crime that we are not stalling, we're continuing, and hopefully today, somebody out there will understand the, that the right thing to do is get the information to us. Honestly, whether she's dead or alive, we need to find her. Niji Fallis, 37, of Covalo, only spent 15 months in prison after Khadija's disappearance. And his sentencing wasn't for kidnapping, spousal abuse, or murder. 
Instead, he was found guilty of being a felon in possession of a firearm. He was arrested and released again a short time later, but ultimately, police haven't been able to charge Fallis in connection with Khadija's disappearance because of what authorities say is a lack of evidence. And they believe the only way that will change is if someone else comes forward. So it was my job to round those people up, the ones that were rumored to be involved in her disappearance. Here again is former Covalo police officer, Trent James. So every time I would have to use informants and my expertise to go track these people down and find them, because they were all in hiding, of course, and some of them had warrants. So when I would find them, I would call the detectives down in Ukai and say, hey, I got so-and-so. Do you want to come out here and interview them? No, bring them to us. So then driving an hour and a half each way to do a drop-off. And, you know, I'd go back out to Covalo and do it again until I rounded up every fucking person. But that's when I finally got Sammy Leggett. Sammy Leggett is one of two witnesses who was in the house the day Khadija went missing. She'd tell law enforcement that she watched Niji Fallis threaten Khadija and force her into an SUV at gunpoint. Sammy Leggett has since passed, but her testimony to Trent James is the most information we have about what happened to Khadija after she got in the car. What happened was Niji went over there in a black SUV. And um, it was him and the person driving the SUV, Sammy Leggett. So Sammy Leggett, Niji, and Khadija leave that property and they drive down the road on Agency Road, probably like 100 feet, not very far. And Khadija and Niji are sitting in the back seat of the SUV. Sammy Leggett's driving and they're arguing like nonstop back and forth. And at one point, Niji tells Sammy, stop the fucking car. So she stops the car and then Niji gets out, pulls Khadija out and tells Sammy to get the fuck out of there. So Sammy leaves the area. And this is like late at night, right? There's no streetlights, okay? There's no nothing. It's pitch black. And so you can't really see anything. Again, not highly populated either. So they get out and stay there. Sammy drives back to her house, which is probably a half a mile away. And then about 30 minutes later, Sammy, and this is her statement, she said that Niji called her on her cell phone and he sounded like upset. Like he was crying and he was like, I fucked up, I fucked up, I didn't mean to. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he's like, come back and pick me up, I'm back over here. And so she drives back over there immediately and it was just Niji by himself, no Khadija. And Sammy's like, where's Khadija? And he wouldn't say shit, according to her. And um, I can't remember if she said he was crying, but definitely like something happened. Like he was uh, visibly distraught, agitated, like freaking the fuck out kind of a thing. And so they got in the car together. They drove back to her house. And he had been on the phone calling somebody else at that point. And then right when they got to their house, almost immediately, his other girlfriend at the time, um, her name was Antonia, she showed up in a black Mercedes sedan, picked him up. And then Antonia and Niji left Sammy's house. And we don't know what happened after that. And it took me forever to get that out of Sammy. Like I, I talked to her so many times and whether or not she knows more, 
Um, obviously, we're not going to know because she's dead. But uh, even on her deathbed in the hospital, you know, the detectives were right there. Like, are you sure you don't fucking know anything else? And nope, that was it. I'm going to Mexico City, and it's going to be an awesome vacation. All thanks to Viator. If you're looking to book your next trip, Viator is your one-stop shop. They've done all the research for you, from classes and workshops, food and drinks, outdoor activities, sightseeing, cruises, tours, museums. Everything you want to do on a vacation is all right here at your fingertips by using Viator. Viator is the solution you need to ensure you plan the perfect trip and overall travel experience. Viator is a tool you can use to plan and book travel experiences all around the world. The Viator app and website make it easy to explore 300,000 plus travel experiences so you can discover what's out there, no matter where you're traveling or what you're interested in. Viator can help you plan better travel experiences. 300,000 plus travel experiences to choose from means that you can plan something everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Enjoy real traveler reviews to get insider information from people who've already been there on the same experiences you're choosing. And if plans changed, there's free cancellation. Plus, Viator offers 24-7 customer service, so you know that you'll get the support you need at any hour if things aren't going as planned. So download the Viator app now and use the code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find the perfect travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's Journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all of that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Law enforcement has been gathering these statements for years now. So what progress has been made on Khadija's case? Apparently, another witness statement was made to police very recently. And at first, Ronnie thought this was going to be their big break. I asked him, are you guys going to press charges? He said, no. So why not? He said, we need at least five witnesses. I said, well, there's only four people involved. But he said, they're not going to do nothing unless they get five witnesses to So the one that happened recently, did that count? The one you just spoke about? Evidently, he's not going to use him because 
He said it won't do no good to only use that one witness. Despite the rumored number of witnesses that night, the statements in this case are kind of a mess. Two of the main witnesses are now deceased. Some of the statements have since been recanted. And according to Ronnie, local authorities have been told that they need at least five eyewitness statements, a number that feels arbitrary. It's now been five years since Khadijah was last seen. In that time, her family has pressed for more answers about what happened that night in the woods and what Niji Fallis might have done to her. And many rumors have circulated since. You know, after some time goes by, it's you start to hear all this crazy shit about like what happened or where she could be. So it's like, she's at a house party in Lake County. No, she checked herself up into rehab up uh, in Sac or Redding. Or no, she got chopped up and she's at this property buried. She got set on fire. She's at this property. She's tied to a tree way out in the national forest. She got put into a trunk and driven or she got human trafficked by the cartel. Now she's down in Mexico. And the list went on and on and on and on and on with the rumors. If you have any basic law enforcement experience, especially out there on the reservation, you know that Niji had something to do with this, 100%. Like, he just did, okay? There's no guessing about that fact. He he fucking did, right? But it's like, what did he do with her body after that point? The rumor was that that black Mercedes that picked him up, that they went and fucking put her in the trunk and fucking took her somewhere and moved her a couple different times. So that Mercedes at a later date got set on fire, oddly enough, by some random person. And doesn't take a detective to figure that one out. Law enforcement conducted multiple searches in the area that Khadijah was said to be dropped off, but no body or clues of any nature have been found. Some folks speculate it's because her body has been moved to various locations. Trent James has a man named Frank, not to be confused with the Frank we met in previous episodes, was helping Niji with this. Dead bodies, I've moved a shitload of them. They're heavy as fuck. So he wasn't doing that shit by himself. And he certainly wasn't moving it with his girlfriend only. So he definitely had some help doing that. But Frank was one of the ones that was supposedly helping him move her body. Anyway, Frank was on parole, freshly released from prison. And he got pulled over and he had like some ammunition. When you're a felon, you can't possess ammunition. Not even one bullet. One bullet is a felony. They could have sent him back to prison. Um, and he had like some meth and stuff on him too. So he had some, you know, decent charges while being on parole freshly out of prison. So he was one that, you know, obviously never said anything. But Ronnie, I know, reached out to Matt Kendall, the sheriff, and said, hey, man, I heard you just got Big Frank. And he's got all this shit going on. Like, can you say, Frank, do you want to go back to fucking prison for this stupid shit? Or do you want to maybe help us out with the Khadijah situation? Like, you know, give us something. And uh, Matt Kendall told Ronnie, Ronnie, I can't do that because if I did that, the public would be pissed if I'm out there trying to cut deals with Frank. And Ronnie's like, what the fuck? I'm like, what the fuck? I was like, what are you talking about, man? What person is going to be angry that you let Frank off or with a lesser sentence for some bullets and some shitty personal use of meth if he would provide information for the location of Khadijah's body? No one's giving a fuck about that, man. They are going to be happy that there was some fucking resolution to this case. But that was the response from the actual sheriff that is still the actual sheriff there. And he won't even return Ronnie's phone calls anymore. He completely fucking ignores him. 
that's the ultimate guy in charge at that department. So that should tell you everything you need to know about like why that case has been handled the way that it is. We spoke to Ronnie about the status of the case and his feelings on Mendocino County Sheriff Matt Kendall. Matt Kendall keep telling me uh, his famous lines was, his perpetrator's going to do life by the installment plan. And I know what the installment plan is. Then he kept telling me, it's going to take time. It's going to take time, but we're going to do this. I finally had to tell him, you know, Matt, I said, I don't have time. I'm soon to be 80 years old, which I am now. So I don't have time. We want her. Not going to stop. I'm getting to where I don't really care anymore about who I step on. We reached out to Sheriff Kendall, but he declined to comment. In an article published in the Red-Headed Black Belt, dated February 2nd, 2022, Sheriff Kendall stated, quote, In these areas where people don't talk to police, we have a hard time solving crimes. He continued by stating that he believes that some people in Round Valley know something, but to move forward with filing charges, he will need, quote, a body or confession or other hard evidence. Without the support of local authorities, Ronnie feels hopeless in his quest for justice, especially considering the insular nature of the community. There's people out there that know what happened to her. They know. Well, here in the Valley, we're all related. He's related to us. His whole family is related to me in one way or her in one way, my wife or Connie. If you uh, say something about one family member, then you're going to get retaliated by another family member, and it's just going to go clear around, and, I, and uh, that's why that there's nobody going to say anything. I mean, some of those people, I was just like sisters to me, but not no more. And there's a lot of friends that we were just, you know, so close, and that's not no more. Our guide for both Hoopa and Covalo, as we've introduced her many times before, is Allie Hostler. Her name might now sound familiar for other reasons. That's because Ronnie and Connie Hostler are her aunt and uncle. Khadijah is her cousin. When our team left the Hostler home, Allie mentioned that she wanted to show us something special, a Covalo landmark. Yeah, do you want to tell us about what we're what we're seeing. Um, so this is a old rundown concrete building that I'm not sure what used to be here, um, but it's provided an excellent canvas to commemorate Khadijah, sort of a powerful space that's open yet enclosed and um, is very visible from Highway 162 which is the highway that runs straight through Covalo. Our team is standing in the shell of an old dilapidated building. As Ali described, it's open yet enclosed, almost like a pavilion. On the inside, one of the walls contains a giant black and white painting of Khadijah. Though there's a chain link fence and overgrown weeds, it's beautiful. This is Khadijah Britton, a 
the painted mural of Khadijah Britton. It's really nice. You can see her from the road. And when you come in, if you know to look, you peek over here and she's right there. And I know that you do so much work to spread the word, but I know this is also a very personal case for you. Tell us about that. It's just hard when you know it could be prevented and like to have it happen in all of our families seems like over and over and we're so helpless. We did everything we could to help our loved ones and they're still gone. And then to know that she had a restraining order um, she had been to court, she had testified about the domestic violence, and her abuser took her, and there's still nothing we can do about it. I think the, the domestic violence issue is, I don't really know how to encapsulate how important that is, but it takes a lot to get to the point where you reach out for help, and for her to reach out like that and actually follow through with the court process and follow through with restraining orders. She must have truly been in fear for her life. And now look, the system failed to protect her. Even family couldn't protect her. And now it's as if the police don't, they're done. It feels the same in Emily's case. Like they're just, they're done investigating and I mean, what more can they investigate? We don't really know, but I feel like we find out more as journalists visiting places and talking to people than what is in a case file. My uncle Ronnie has gone above and beyond and done more investigating as a elder in a small community than the police have done. For being 80, like he goes all over to events and rallies and all these banners you see and posters you see all over town, like he's out there putting them up and making sure they're kept up and wants the people responsible for whatever happened to Khadijah to be reminded every day. He wants them to see her face and know that he's not giving up and they want justice. I don't know if they'll ever have closure. And it hurts me to see people I love in so much pain and know that they may, may never have closure. I feel like that's happened with so many of our people. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. 
June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all of that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. This is a rally for the MMIP movement in Northern California. A crowd of people walk down the street dressed in red and black, the colors of the MMIP movement. They're calling for justice for the many folks in Humboldt County who are missing or murdered. This is our trail of tears, and we're out here trying to bring awareness, trying to get them to come outside and talk to us and actually take this seriously. Each protester holds a sign, some demanding action from law enforcement, Others featuring the face of a lost loved one. And we're really scared at this time for our community that there's no justice going on. And so today there's friends, family, and spouses, employees, and advocates from the MMIP offices. There's no fair treatment, no fair investigation, no fair trial. And as they march, they call out the names of all those whose fate is still mystery. Some names we recognize. Rules. Andrea! Andrea! Judy! Judy! Others are new. Robert! 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 Brett! Brett! 
each with their own story of heartbreak, frustration, and turmoil. While we wish we had the ability to cover all these unsolved cases, the number of them for one small region in Northern California is almost too big to comprehend. Too many gone! Too many! Too many gone! We need help! Since our trip to the Pacific Northwest, there have been multiple violent deaths of young indigenous people. In fact, just weeks after our trip to Covalo, a 15-year-old girl was beaten to death and a 20-year-old man was shot and killed. Both crimes were closed by arrest. Last month, the shooting of a local indigenous man in Hoopa by the California Highway Patrol reignited conversations about policing and jurisdiction on reservations. These communities are still struggling. The Up and Vanish team left town with Khadija's eyes watching. And they hope by sharing these stories, it opens the door for change and support. That it causes a wider community to care about the big questions. How do we prevent tragedies like this from happening in the future? What can be done? I think social media has helped movements build steam and grow support and also help alert people on other reservations that this is happening all over. Seeing these larger efforts to make this more visible is really, really encouraging. We're getting visibility. And hopefully the end result is we save lives and we change policy and we start to pay attention. And let's talk prevention here. We can't just wait until they're missing and then address the problems with investigations. What are we doing to safeguard women who are mentally ill, who are prone to sex trafficking, or they're in the foster care system, or they're in the juvenile court system. All those young people, not just women, are at an extremely higher risk of being missing or murdered. So I feel like my job in it is to provide information and to get the word out. We asked Ali what measures she's seen taken so far to create change. There's a lot of recent effort within the last two years coming from the tribe. I know our tribal court system has been working on implementing a juvenile wellness court, which will help youth get back on track and work on finding ways to keep those youth on a positive track so they can make positive decisions into adulthood. So there's a truancy prevention program. There's a suicide prevention program right now. There's becoming more access or easier access to mental health support services. So I see these intervention type projects being implemented throughout the entire tribe and our neighboring tribes. Addressing the issue now, I mean, gosh, I feel like prevention is the best way to address it. And then looking at policy changes now, I know California just signed the feather alert. So this new push through the state is really important, it's key. Senator James Ramos, the first Native American and the California legislator, authored the Feather Bill, which became law in 2023. This alert system is similar to Amber Alert and is activated by tribal police or law enforcement when a Native person goes missing under unexplained or suspicious circumstances. In October of 2023, Governor Newsom also signed Senate Bill 43 into law. 
this new mental health law expands the definition of gravely ill, covering individuals who are unable to care for their basic needs due to substance use or untreated mental illness. A law like this could have impacted Emily Rissling's case. These new policies may create change, hopefully positive change. But the community feels that the urgency for new policies, like the instatement of the Feather Act, is few and far between. There's still a lot of distrust between policymakers, law enforcement, and the indigenous community. We asked Chief O'Rourke his thoughts on how to improve the relationship between law enforcement and indigenous peoples. Every single native person in the state has some story about some abuse or some police brutality, some police mistreatment, either real or perceived. So how it relates to MMIP is when the investigating agency responds, the people in the family, they may not be willing to cooperate with the investigation. They may not give all the information that's pertinent to the investigation, and that hampers it. Greg's officers are attempting to overcome that history of conflict with what they call a trauma-informed approach. It involves studying how trauma works and making sure officers can recognize the signs of a person who appears to be experiencing symptoms of trauma. Then officers can be better equipped to de-escalate situations and build trust. Taking a trauma-informed approach is not a new concept, but it is with cops, and it's certainly within a community. And so... Being open to this and finally being able to have an explanation why, you know, your son, your family member, even you yourself may feel that anger, may feel that frustration, why you act out the way you do, being able to identify it and label it, then now gives a community a path to be able to address it. The two things that are coming out are cops need more training. Well, yes, we do. I'm not saying that we don't. And cops need to learn how to de-escalate. When it comes to those issues, I truly, truly believe that adopting a trauma-informed approach addresses those. As we've heard multiple times in this podcast, people are often reluctant to speak to law enforcement, but there are other ways to submit tips. The Bureau of Indian Affairs has a confidential tip line. If you have information about any of the cases that we covered or any other missing or murdered Indigenous persons case, you can submit a tip by texting 847-411, calling 1-833-560-2065, or submitting a tip on their website at bia.gov. During this project, families opened their doors to us to tell us their most heartbreaking stories. We recognize the strength in that, and we hope that one day they'll find the answers that can bring them closure. Our guide, Ali Hostler, also hopes for better times ahead, and we want to acknowledge her commitment to advocacy and thank her for trusting us with these stories in the first place. We're seeing the times change. I think we're in the generation of healers. We're in a new era where people are starting to feel empowered. They're starting to say enough is enough. I wish it would happen faster, but I see it happening more and more. We'd also like to thank Laura Freider for her dedication to these cases. This all started because of a voicemail that Laura left us. I just think being of service, whatever your skill set is, use it for other people. 
like if all you can do is wash the dishes, but like wash the dishes. It may not be actual dishes, but like writing letters or calling people up, just whatever your skill set is, whatever your time allows, just do it. And even if it means listening to the podcast and telling someone about it, like that's washing the dishes, like you're sharing the story. And the more people know about these these cases, I think that just puts pressure on people gently, the folks who are responsible for solving it. And not only will they feel pressure, but I think maybe supported in some way, like we're behind you as well, like we want this to be solved. And I really think that we can do that with this podcast. Just wash the dishes if that's all you have to do, just do that. We hope this series enlightened you. We hope it taught you something new. And we hope it reaches people that might have tips or resources that can help the families in search of their loved ones. For connections to law enforcement in North California, the Mendocino County tip line is 800-782-7463. You can remain anonymous. The Humboldt County tip line is 707-268-2539. If you're indigenous and need advocacy support or healing resources as a survivor of trauma, visit the Sovereign Bodies Institute at sovereign-bodies.org. If you'd like to donate to any of the organizations that we've mentioned, please do so. Your donations make a difference. If you're looking to help in the simplest way possible, as Laura said, share these stories. With your help, Emily, Sumi, Andrea, Virgil, and Khadijah will never be forgotten. Thanks for listening to The Vanishing Point, an Up and Vanish series, and a special thanks to the Up and Vanish team for bringing these stories to light, and to Silesia for navigating us through very important cases. You can check out Silesia's other podcast called Truer Crime wherever you get your podcasts. Sharing these stories is one small way to ensure that the missing are not forgotten. So please keep submitting stories by email, cases at tenderfoot.tv. Thanks again for all your support. And stay tuned for the new season of Up and Vanished, coming in January. The Vanishing Point is a production of Tenderfoot TV in association with Odyssey. Celicia Stanton is our host. The show is written by Meredith Stedman, Alex Vespasted, and Jamie Albright, with additional writing assistance by Celicia Stanton. Executive producers are Donald Albright and myself, Payne Lindsay. Lead producer is Jamie Albright, along with Meredith Stedman. Editing by Alex Vespasted. Additional editing by Sydney Evans. Supervising producer is Tracy Kaplan. Additional production by Laura Freider and Ali Hostler. Research by Laura Freider and Taylor Floyd. Artwork by Byron McCoy. Original music by Makeup and Vanity Set. Mixed by Dayton Cole. Thank you to Oren Rosenbaum and the team at UTA, Beck Media and Marketing, and the Nord Group. And a special thanks to Greg O'Rourke, the KIDE 91.3 radio station in Hoopa, the Two Rivers Tribune, and all of the families and community members that spoke to us. For more podcasts like The Vanishing Point, search Tenderfoot TV on your favorite podcast app, or visit us on our website at tenderfoot.tv. Thanks for listening.